turn to 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to uh, continue now our, our brand new series, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, you remember last week we didn't get out of the first verse, right? Marilyn, we, we kind of we got stuck on the last word of the first verse, and we just focused on the hope, right? Uh, we focused on that word hope, and uh, we looked at um, how the Bible is literally filled with hope for Christians, for those that have trusted Christ uh, and his shed blood alone, his shed blood alone for, for salvation. Uh, the Bible is literally filled with hopeful promises, certain promises uh, to the believer. We looked at the, the nature of that hope last week. Uh, this morning... I want to continue through uh, this first chapter. I want to continue through this first chapter. And uh, before we do that, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Zach, don't shout out your answer unless you get really excited, okay? Uh, do you have anything in your life that is worth fighting for? Do you have anything that is worth fighting for? Marilyn gave me one of these. I heard an amen. Do you have anything in your life that is uh, worth fighting for. Uh, for years, uh, I'm not going to give you the name of the school, but a major university in the Midwest uh, aired a short video during the telecast of their football games. And uh, they were little short snippets that, that asked this question, what would you fight for? Uh, what would you fight for? The videos went on to uh, explain, or the school explained that the Videos were meant to celebrate the faculty and their students who, quote, fight to bring solutions to a world in need. Uh, our world has needs, amen? The world has needs. Maryland, they're not unmet needs. We have Christ, we have the Bible, but uh, the world still needs to, to hear about that, right? And that's, that's our job to share uh, that truth. Today, I want you to see some of the things that the Lord desired that Timothy would fight for. I want you to see some of the things the Lord desired that Timothy would fight for. Now, let's just back up here um, and, and review some things that we've seen recently. Kind of, Rich will try to put this in context of where we've been. Uh, as we've seen recently, the Bible often likens the Christian life to a battle. It does, right? And you saw that, we, and we understand from the Bible, uh, every church and every Christian uh, is in a real spiritual battle with a real enemy. We, we understand that. We've seen that. Now, recently in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church members there, we, we spent two messages looking at the whole armor of God, uh, these things that God has given us uh, to prevail in the spiritual battle that we're in. That was... In Ephesians 6, right? You, you remember that. We were just there very recently. Now, uh, recall this morning, please, Timothy has a special connection to uh, the Ephesian church. Uh, Paul is writing to young Pastor Timothy, right, who seems to be, it seems to be the case that uh, he's at uh, Ephesus, at the church there. You remember uh, we see in Acts, it, it appears that in his travels, Paul left Timothy there at, at Ephesus uh, to help the church there, right? Have you noticed that New Testament churches, uh, they, they all have problems, right? Have, have you noticed that? Uh, have you noticed that today churches all still have problems? You know, we're, we're trying to be a, a biblical church, and, and that's exactly what we need to do. 
Uh, thankfully, we have these letters written to these pastors and, and, and to these churches, uh, all of which were struggling, uh, just like churches today. So we, we find answers for struggling churches uh, here in, in letters like this, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, Timothy was trying to help a struggling church uh, become a church that was a more solidly Christ-honoring, uh, biblical uh, assembly for the Lord. That was Paul's goal, evidently, in leaving Timothy there and in writing 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, not to mention the, the letter that was written to the, the church, the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul desired that the church would be edified uh, by these words from God and, and by Timothy's ministering uh, of those words, that it would become a solidly biblical church for the Lord. That was the goal. Uh, do you think that might be the Lord's goal for us today as well, that, that we would receive uh, these same words and, uh, and just continue to grow as individuals and, and continue to grow as an assembly um, and, and become an increasingly more solid uh, biblical church for the Lord? Uh, is it a battle? Gary, is it a battle? Yeah, it is. We're in a battle. We have a, a real enemy who's opposing us at every opportunity, right? Uh, it, it's a real battle. Uh, Paul understood that Timothy would need instruction uh, to prevail in this battle and instruction from the Lord about um, what to fight for uh, and how to wage the battle. Rich, we have the same need today. We need this instruction from the Lord about what to fight for uh, and how to wage the battle. Uh, and so the Lord has provided this instruction through Paul to Timothy to help that church at Ephesus. And of course, we understand that the Lord has, has added this book to the can of scripture and preserved it for us, uh, Maryland, even to today, because it's instruction for us too, right? How to be a solidly biblical church uh, for the Lord. That'll take individuals that are committed to the word of God and uh, and yielded to the God that gave these words, and uh, Rich looking to him for strength to take these things up, the grace to take up these words and, and the instruction and to apply them to our lives practically and to our church uh, corporately. So uh, that's really the goal, as, as I see it, uh, of this book, and uh, we need it. Uh, we, we need it. All, all churches uh, need this. I want to read the majority of the chapter this morning, uh, and now I'll give you uh, three main points, three main points this morning. I'm going to let you sit this morning. Uh, you're here in, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Uh, we'll, re we'll start in verse 1. I know we saw verse 1 last week. Here the Bible says, uh, Paul, uh, an apostle, uh, he's a messenger of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, uh, unto Timothy. My own son in the faith, Paul had led Timothy to Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus uh, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach, what does it say, church? No other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, being built up, which is in the faith, so do. Uh, verse 5, now the end of the commandment is charity or love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience 
and of faith unfeigned. A true faith, not, not a counterfeit one. Verse 6, he says, from which some have swerved and have turned aside unto vain jangling, empty words. Desiring to be teachers of the law, they understood neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Uh, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. He's referring, of course, to the Old Testament law. Verse 9, knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, the unholy and profane, for murderers uh, of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves uh, with mankind. That's a reference, of course, to homosexuality. A Bible word would be sodomy. Uh, for men stealers, it's the only place in scripture where that word appears, uh, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the, see the next two words, please, glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. See a few more verses here, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy, because I did ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 15 says, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Some would say amen. Uh, of whom I am chief, Paul writes. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting, to life everlasting. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only wise God be honor and glory forever. Amen. See one more verse, please. Paul says, this charge, verse 18, I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest by them, but that thou, let me try that again, that thou by them, see the next several words, please, mightest war a good warfare holding faith. The message this morning is things worth fighting for, things worth warring a good warfare for. Let's stop there and pray, please. Father, thank you for uh, your words. Uh, Lord, thank you that we can be certain um, you've shown us uh, in our hearts, in our conscience, you've convicted us that this Bible is your word. Lord, thank you for showing us that, and thank you for showing us your promise to preserve them. We can have great confidence in this Bible and this translation of your inspired and, and preserved words. Lord, thank you for um, giving Paul uh, this letter to give to Timothy so that the church where he was serving uh, could be built up uh, and, and made more um, ready 
uh, for the battle and for the service to which you'd call that church. Lord, I thank you this morning that we share the same uh, charge, uh, Lord, to be built up in your words, uh, to be battle ready for you and for the service to which you've called uh, saved, baptized people. Lord, we do understand this morning that we are in a battle. Help us to accept that, to know that, uh, and help us, Father, to take up your words as the answer, that with which you've equipped us uh, to fight the battle that we are in. Lord, I pray as we do that this church would be strengthened, that you would strengthen us as individuals and strengthen us corporately, uh, Father, for your honor, for your glory, and for your service. Now, lastly, Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone uh, here this morning who is uncertain of their salvation, I pray, Lord, that that heart would be open to what your word actually says about salvation, about the gospel, and, Lord, that you'd give understanding and faith this morning, uh, Father, to uh, place uh, that one's faith in, in Christ alone. Lord, help me now. I certainly need it. I pray uh, all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I've asked you already. Good morning, folks. I've asked, I've asked the church already, do you have anything uh, in your life that is worth fighting for? Now, Zach, I don't, I don't necessarily mean to literally take up fists, arms or fists, uh, and, and fight. Maybe, maybe it means that, but uh, I don't necessarily mean that. I don't want you to turn around and, and start fighting with Brother Ed before we're done here today, okay? He, he's very strong, all right? I know you are too, but that's, that's not what we're aiming for. Ed, I seem to keep coming back to you and implying that you might get into fights with people. I don't know why that is, but uh, there must be a reason. Don't mean that. I mean, do you have some things that that you would, you would be willing to stand up for? Uh, are there some things that you would be willing to defend uh, even if that cost you something? Uh, are there some things that, that you fight to, uh, to know and to hold on to and to live uh, because you understand that it's God's will? Uh, are there some things that, that you would fight to teach to others? Uh, are, are there, do, you have, do you have beliefs this morning, biblical beliefs uh, that you'd be willing to fight for. Uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy uh, to, to wage a good battle, to be willing to fight a good battle uh, for truth, uh, for true doctrine, uh, for the true teachings uh, of the Bible. Now, Carolyn, I've mentioned a few times recently that over the past several decades, there's been an all-out attack on, on the Bible as God's truth. Uh, there's been an all-out attack even on the idea that truth could exist. There's been an all-out attack on the idea that the written word, uh, any written words anywhere, could convey absolute truth. But we understand the Bible has revealed a God of truth uh, and that his words are true. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, the Bible says all scripture is given by God. Do you believe that this morning? I mean, the Bible, you, you know, and if you're not sure about that, you can pray, right? You can say, God, you know what? I want to know, but I'm just not sure. God, would you show me as I read your words if the Bible is really your word and absolutely true, if you'll, if you'll pray that prayer with an open heart, God will show you that. Uh, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
Well, who is that God? He's, he's the only God. The Bible reveals uh, one true God in Psalm 31.5. He's called the God of truth. He's the source of the truth. Uh, in Psalm 119 and verse 30, uh, 43, uh, the Bible says that God's words are the word of truth. There's no other absolute truth spiritually uh, anywhere else. And uh, today the world says, well, I understand that. I understand you believe that. And, you know, I might even be willing to read some of the Bible, but I'm going to interpret it however uh, suits me best. Have, have you ever heard people say that? You'll share some Bible truth with someone. They'll say, they'll say well, that's your interpretation. Uh, the Bible's pretty plain on, on main things, on, on key things, isn't it? In fact, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 20, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. We don't have the privilege to reinterpret the Bible to fit our needs. That's a good thing, amen? Because otherwise, you just say, well, you know, however you interpret it is fine, however I interpret it's fine. Uh, no, the Bible says it's not of any private interpretation. Um, there is a teaching um, in colleges and, and universities uh, these days that encourages people to look at whatever the text is, whether it's the Bible or a piece of literature, uh, and, and to tear it down, to, to deconstruct it, to treat the author as dead and the text as dead, and uh, to study not just the, not the theme and meaning of what it actually says, but try to understand the culture and different things, different insights that you may gain uh, from whatever the text is, uh, and, and to try to discern some personal understanding of truth through that process. May I say this this morning? God is not dead, and neither is his word. Amen? Uh, the Bible says the word of God is quick, and that word means alive. Uh, and the Bible says the word of God is powerful. It's powerful because it's alive. God is not dead, uh, and neither is his word. And Rich, so I would say this morning this, uh, biblical doctrine, uh, doctrine that the Bible, the word of God, plainly teaches, that's worth fighting for. Amen? Let's take that as number one this morning. Give you three main points this morning. Number one, get that down, please. I encourage you to take some notes if you, if you possibly can. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy about the importance of, of holding on to and, and, and communicating and teaching uh, true biblical doctrine uh, and to deal with those who try to reinterpret it or to teach some other doctrine. Uh, number one this morning, Bible doctrine, it's worth fighting for. Uh, the truth is worth fighting for. It's worth uh, fighting to know. It's worth taking a stand for. Uh, it's worth defending. Uh, see, see verse 3 here this morning, please. Paul writes to Timothy. Of course, these are God's words given to Paul to send along to Timothy uh, and to us. Verse 3 says this, and I, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, See the next phrase, please. That thou mightest charge some that they teach what? What does it say? Help me out. What is it? No other doctrine. No, no, Rich, there's all kinds of teaching in all kinds of churches today. Uh, a lot of churches say, hey, we have these traditions, and they're as authoritative as the scripture is. And you might say, well, okay, but when those traditions are contrary to the word of God, there's a problem. And what should win, church, tradition or the word of God? The word of God is, is the word of God, right? Uh, traditions that, that don't reflect or, and don't have a solid basis in the word of God, 
uh, you know, we don't need them. If, if, if they are teaching something that is directly contrary to the word of God, that's a problem. That's a problem. Uh, Paul's first charge to Timothy uh, in, in this first inspired letter is, you need to deal with people who are teaching things that are contrary to the word of God. Uh, why was that necessary? Well, because there's a natural inclination, uh, I think, that men have to uh, you know, try to find some novel or unique understanding of things, and uh, they get puffed up about that. You know, I've, uh, I've, I've got this uh, unique understanding of Scripture that, that you don't have. Let, let me t that, that's, that's, I think, rooted in pride. Uh, it's rooted in pride. Of course, we know that the churches in the first century, many of them, uh, were also struggling with those Judaizers, right? Those that were trying to bring uh, the Old Testament uh, into New Testament churches. Um, Paul says here, we'll, we'll get to this in a second, the law is not bad if it's used uh, properly, uh, but it was being used improperly. Zach, we know in uh, Galatians, Paul was addressing those that were teaching that you, you, you had to observe certain parts of the law even to be saved. Uh, circumcision was the primary thing. Uh, no, we're saved by grace uh, through faith, according to the Bible. And so uh, Paul says, listen, you need to deal with those uh, that, that teach no other doctrine. Charge some that they teach. Teach them to teach the Bible uh, and only the Bible. He says in verse 4, Neither give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which miniature questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. Just teach the Bible. That will edify. That will build people up. That will encourage their faith. That will bring people to Christ. That will feed Christians spiritually uh, and cause them to grow. Feed them the words of God uh, and, and they will grow. Uh, where do we find this doctrine? We find it in the Bible, God's words. Now, Paul goes on here and uh, right on the heels of, of this, this charge, this, this command, he says, you know, Timothy, I understand this is implied, okay? This is me kind of thinking like Paul for just for a moment. I'm not adding to the Bible. But this is what I imagine, Brother Ed. You know, you know Timothy, uh, I understand there's, there's all kinds of teaching about how the Jewish law, the Old Testament law might still be relevant and how it might even be necessary. And uh, there's a sense in which that is the case, but uh, we, we cannot allow anyone to continue teaching that the law is required for salvation. It may have a role in leading people to Christ, but keeping it's not required for salvation. So Paul says, un under this idea of, of Bible truth being the thing that we need to teach, correct doctrine, uh, part of that is going to be having a right view of the Old Testament law uh, and, and teaching that uh, with a right view. Uh, look here in, in, in verse 5. Uh, Paul seems to be saying to Timothy, listen, a right view of the law uh, is, it, it has to be, be um, treated with the right view of the goals of the law. So he begins in verse 5, he says this, now the end or the goal of the commandment, I think that would be a reference to the Old Testament, uh, the law, uh, he says three things. The end goal of the law is charity. What's, what's, what's another word for charity? Love. Love, right? It's a wonderful translation uh, of the word because, I mean, today we understand charity has the sense of giving uh, to others, and 
Uh, that brings out the idea, as we've said many times, that Bible love is a, it's a love in action. Uh, Bible love isn't just a ooh, ooh, ah, ah, I love you. It's, it's a ooh, ooh, ah, ah that leads us to take some loving actions, right? Uh, and ooh, ooh, ah, ah, Zach, that must be the Greek, right? Or maybe the Hebrew, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, now the goal, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Uh, Paul wanted um, Timothy to teach a correct view of the end goal of the law. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't just about, you know, controlling people and, uh, and, and trying to get them to line up with, uh, you know, every, uh, every little thing uh, of the law. It ultimately was to lead them to faith uh, in Christ and a sincere faith in Christ uh, and uh, the love and, and a good conscience. You know, if the law reveals to you that you're a sinner uh, and that leads you to faith in Christ, that's a good thing, amen? Uh, the Ten Commandments uh, are, you know, you don't need to have more than the Ten Commandments to know that you're a sinner because you've broken some of the commandments uh, and you need a Savior. Uh, so Paul wants Timothy to understand that a, a right uh, doctrine would include a right view of the law uh, and the goals of the law. In, in verses 6 and 7, he says, you know, some have missed, some have missed the, uh, the Lord's purposes for the law. He says in verse 6, some which have, uh, from, from which some have, having swerved, I'll get it out, uh, have turned aside unto vain jangling, uh, empty talk. Some have lost sight of what the Old Testament law was really all about. Rich, we understand, as we've studied through the history books and so forth, that uh, the Old Testament was all about leading people up to that point in history where Christ came, right? Uh, everything in the Old Testament pictures Christ. Uh, the sacrifices and, uh, and the festivals and the tabernacle and the temple, it all pictures Christ. It was paving the way for the arrival of Christ on the scene uh, in history. And of course, some had lost sight of all of that and uh, they were just teaching the value of the law apart from its purpose of pointing people to Christ. Uh, look at verse 8. Uh, Paul wanted Timothy to understand that there's a proper use of the law in churches. He says in verse 8, But we know that the law is good uh, if a man use it lawfully. Uh, it's good if a man use it lawfully. Uh, Galatians 3 and verse 24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Listen, nobody here knew that you needed a Savior until, the, until you knew that you were a sinner, Right? Uh, why would anyone be interested in, in a savior unless they understood that they were a sinner uh, and that had consequences? Uh, when, I, when the gospel was first uh, preached to me, uh, I, I immediately understood. Uh, God has said, this is sin. Uh, and if you've done that, you're a sinner. Uh, and the wages of sin is death. And it's a spiritual death. And a very real uh, hell awaits uh, for those that refuse God's answer to that uh, sin and, and its consequences. Uh, I didn't understand that, uh, the need for that, Rich, until I understood uh, that the Old Testament law reveals the fact that I'm a sinner, I need a solution, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a Savior. And that would be uh, the proper, good, lawful use uh, of the law in churches. See verse 9. 
Paul also points out that, you know, we're, 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 not, we're not using the law, uh, obedience to the law as a means of salvation. We can't uh, obey the Bible to such a great extent that we just earn our, our salvation through our obedience. No, it's by grace through faith in Christ. But the law does have some value in teaching us uh, how to live morally and, and, and what God desires in our lives. He says, knowing this, verse 9, the law is not made for a righteous man, uh, but for the lawless and disobedient, uh, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, uh, for murderers of fathers and mothers and so forth. And uh, whoremongers, verse 10, for them that defile themselves with mankind, uh, those who practice homosexuality and, and, and other things here. Uh, by the way, uh, please don't lose sight of the fact that the Bible teaches plainly that practicing homosexuality is sin. Uh, but it's just one of the many things that are alluded to here uh, as sin. And uh, Rich, it doesn't matter what sin we've committed, uh, the blood of Christ covers all sin. Amen? Uh, e even someone who's been that deep in sin can be saved uh, if they would come to Christ repenting uh, and placing their faith in him. So all of this is to say this, Paul wanted Timothy to understand that, that he needed to know what the truth was, he needed to know what the true and right use of the Old Testament law was to reveal sin uh, and to guide people in leading a moral life according to God's words, and ultimately to guide them to Christ, uh, who was the only way of forgiveness and the only way uh, of knowing eternal life. This is uh, worth fighting for. <laughs> this is worth fighting for. Timothy charged some that they teach no other doctrine. Uh, know what is truth. Teach the truth. Uh, know what the purpose of the law is. Don't let people uh, teach that out of bounds or, or wrongly. Don't let anyone believe that they can be saved by obeying uh, the Old Testament law, by just being good enough in God's eyes. That's not what the Bible says. Don't tolerate it. Uh, and so we need to do the same. We need to search the scriptures for what is truth. And Rich, we have to be in the Bible, right? We have to be in church. We have to be in Sunday school. We have to be in Bible study uh, to know what is truth so that we can know what is error. Uh, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to avail ourselves. So number one, uh, biblical doctrine, Bible truth is worth fighting for. I dare say this morning that you agree. Amen? You agree. Would you take a stand for it? Uh, what do you do? What do you do when someone is, uh, you're maybe in a conversation with someone, uh, and what they're saying is just unbiblical? What What do you do? Well, the best thing you could do is graciously, lovingly pull out a Bible and say, "Hey, I hear what you're saying, but what What does the Bible actually say? Uh, you say that you can be saved by being very religious. You say that you can be saved if you'll just be in the right kind of church and, and attend that church and, uh, and be christened or baptized and uh, do certain religious things. You, you say that's, that's good enough for God, but what does the Bible actually say? Is that what the Bible says, church? No, you, but you, can, you can lovingly open a Bible and, and go to verses like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where the Bible says, hey, we're not saved by any kind of works. Uh, we're saved by grace, the undeserved favor of God that we receive when we simply place our faith in Christ. And uh, you have to be gracious and loving and kind and patient and prayerful 
uh, but be, be, um, be a person who has searched the scriptures for the truth so that as you have opportunity to counter error with truth, you're able to do that. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to do that. And certainly the Holy Spirit does. Let me ask you this this morning. Uh, is the true gospel worth fighting for? Is the true gospel worth fighting for? Well, I think it is. <laughs> Number two this morning, uh, the true gospel uh, is worth fighting for. Uh, the true gospel is worth fighting for. Um, where would we be today without the gospel? Where would we be? Gary, where would you be without the biblical gospel? Where, where would, we'd be lost people, right? We'd be, uh, we'd be on our way to hell. We'd be hopeless. Uh, we, we'd be lost. We'd be lost without the gospel, uh, the, the biblical message of, of how to be saved. And Paul pretty clearly encourages Timothy here that the one true gospel uh, is worth fighting for. Zach, does the Bible... Uh, teach more than one way to be forgiven? It, it does not. Does the world teach that there's many ways to be forgiven? Gary, it does, doesn't it? The, the, the world says, hey, listen, just, you know, you do what you think is right and you'll be fine. You, you read whatever scripture you want, you'll be fine. Uh, you, you believe whatever, as long as you, as, as long as you're sincere about what you believe, uh, you'll be fine. Uh, it's been said many times that, that hell is filled with people who held sincere beliefs, but they were sincerely wrong. Uh, and so we understand this morning that the one true way of salvation uh, is most certainly worth fighting for. Paul shows us several things here about that. Uh, it's worth fighting for, and I'm going I'm to give it in kind of the order that Paul does uh, in the passage here. Get these down, please. Uh, how about this? Because of the results of salvation. Uh, because of the results from salvation. Rich, when I was 10 years old, I first heard the gospel. Uh, the, the, I believe the first week that I heard it, I was saved uh, at summer camp. That was 1977, so now you know how old I am. Uh, <laughs> um, I, before I was saved, I was lost and I was on my way to hell. If I never heard the gospel and repent of sin and place my faith in Christ, I'd still be lost and I'd still be on my way to hell. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I praise God that I have that now. And if you repented of sin and placed your faith in Christ this morning, you have that now too. You have something uh, to praise the Lord for. But of course, uh, salvation is it's just the first thing we get. Uh, Paul, Paul was grateful for a variety of things that he received uh, in Christ in addition to eternal life. Uh, look in verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. What does Lord mean, by the way? What does it mean? Master. Master. Is he, is he your master? I hope he is. Uh, if he is, you recognize his authority and you submit to him uh, and to his word. Uh, don't call him Lord unless he is. Yeah, he is, but don't call him that unless you recognize that. Uh, Lord, help us to recognize your authority, your lordship. Help us to humble ourselves under you. Uh, Paul expresses a gratitude for what he had received uh, when he came to Christ. He says in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, uh, who first hath enabled me, hath enabled me. He says for that he secondly counted me faithful uh, and thirdly put me into the ministry. 
Uh, Paul was grateful, yes, for his salvation, just as grateful as we are. Uh, I'm not going to hell. not going to spend one moment there. Not one moment. And I'm, I'm certain of that. And you, you can be too, of course. Paul was thankful that not only was he not going to hell, not only did he have eternal life, but he had been given a great purpose this side of heaven, uh, the, the wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord. The Lord put him into the ministry. And of course, everyone who's saved and baptized into a church uh, has that same call and opportunity uh, and duty uh, to recognize the Lord's call in our life to serve him uh, in a church ministry. Of course, it's not just the pastor. It's all of us. Uh, it's all of us. And as, we've, as I've said many times recently, that's, um, that could be a hard thing to come to terms with. I, I've got to serve. No, it's not that you have to serve. It's that you get to serve. Amen? You get to serve the Lord who made you and who saved you uh, and who died for you. You have that privilege but not just the duty and the privilege, we've been enabled by him. Uh, Paul says he was thankful, verse 12, I thank the Lord Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me. Uh, he made it possible. He gave Paul the grace, the strength, everything that he needed uh, to serve the Lord. What a, what a great truth. We don't have to uh, view serving the Lord as a, as a terrible thing that I'll never be able to do. Uh, no, we just have to say, Lord, here I am. Take me and use me uh, and help me to trust that you've enabled me to serve you. Uh, you've given me a spiritual gift and a place to serve. Uh, Lord, help me. Just put me into that place of ministry uh, that you have for me. So uh, Paul was encouraging Timothy to fight for the gospel. It's the only way of salvation, but uh, there's, there's many other benefits and results um, he encouraged Timothy to fight for the gospel uh, because, secondly, uh, who, who had a need to be saved? Anybody here? Did you, did you ever realize, come to realize that you needed to be saved? Anybody? <laughs> Everybody? Everybody, right? I mean, it's... Paul was encouraging Timothy to fight for the gospel because everybody has that need. Whether they realize it or not, everybody, uh, all men are uh, in need of, of the gospel. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 13, Paul recognized that. Look, look at what he says. He says, before uh, he was a blasphemer uh, and a persecutor. He persecuted Christians. He harmed them. He says he was injurious. Yeah, he sure was. Uh, he was a persecutor of Christians. Wasn't he on the road uh, to go and, and, and do some persecuting when, when the Lord met him and saved him? And praise God that uh, we, we know that that's the case. And uh, praise God we know he saved us also. Um, how did Paul know that those things were sin? How did Paul know that blasphemy was a sin. He says he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. How did Paul know that he needed a savior, brother? How would he know that? How did you know that you needed a savior? Well, it goes back to the right use of the law, right? Uh, back, back in verse 9, look, look back in verse 9. Uh, Paul's tying this all together for Timothy. Uh, he knew that those things were sin and that he, was, he had been condemned to hell because of that, uh, but that there was the possibility of salvation by grace through faith. He knew that those things were sin because of the law, uh, verse 9. Knowing this, that the law is 
uh, not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient and ungodly. Uh, Paul was a Jewish man who had been instructed in the law, uh, <laughs> but he also understood from the law that he was a sinner and that there needed to be a way to be forgiven uh, of that sin. And so we have a proper use of the law. Uh, listen, uh, I don't know, I'm not accusing anybody of anything here. You ever find yourself um, using the law in kind of an ugly way? Um, you ever find yourself um, correcting people in kind of an ugly way? You see something in someone's life and you say, what's the matter with you? Uh, don't you know that God doesn't like that? Don't you know that the Bible says X, Y, and Z? You ever find yourself there? Um, maybe. Does that feel like a loving use of the law? <laughs> Not really, right? Um, the Lord desires that we would lovingly take up his word and use that to show lost people why they need Christ. And yes, also to show believers, saved people, how God desires that we live. Gary, I can't live my way righteously into heaven. But I can, I can share with people what God has said is sin and lovingly use that to show them that they have a problem, they have a spiritual problem, they need a savior and use the law to lead them to Christ as the only solution for the sin problem that they have. Um, we're not going to be able to win people to Christ through an ugly delivery, a mean-spirited delivery of that message. It has to be couched in love and grace. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to try to teach people about the grace that they can find in Christ if we're being ingracious in delivering the message. Uh, and so I just pray, Lord, help us to be gracious in using your law to lead people to Christ. And Lord, help us to be gracious to encourage each other to live a life that is more righteous and pleasing to God. Um, usually if we're delivering the message angrily, there's some problem in our own hearts, some sin problem in our own hearts uh, that needs to be addressed. Um, Paul desired that Timothy would fight for the true gospel because it's the only way of salvation. Look at verse, the second part of verse 13. He says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. That's true. But he found the grace of our Lord, which was exceeding abundant. Uh, exceeding abundant is a great translation. That's exactly what the underlying language says. It has the idea of something that's overflowing. Uh, when you came to Christ confessing sin and placing your faith in him, you met a Savior who was literally overflowing with grace toward you. And it's a good thing, isn't it, Carolyn? Because when we came for salvation, we were pretty good sinners, right? We were pretty bad sinners, I mean, we were, just, we were overflowing in sin, and yet we met a Savior who was overflowing with grace. This grace of our Lord Jesus was exceeding abundant, overflowing with faith, and what's the next word there? 
What is it? The L word there in verse 14 toward the end? Love. Love, which is in Christ Jesus. By the way, go back to verse 5, please. This grace and love and faith of Christ, this Savior to whom the law leads us when we apply the law and use it rightfully, righteously to lead people to Christ, uh, this Savior, his exceeding faith and love and grace is what makes it possible for verse 5 to be realized. Go back and look at verse 5, please. What's a right view of the end goal of the law? Verse 5. Now the end or the goal of the commandment, the law, is charity or love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, sincere faith. It is Christ who Paul met and who describes in, in verse 14, who is gracious and faithful and loving, who makes it possible for the goal of the law in verse 5 to be achieved. Again, it's all tied together here very nicely. Uh, the, the law leads us to Christ, who makes it possible for the goal of the law to be realized. Our faithfulness, our love toward one another and toward the Lord uh, and a good conscience because sin has been forgiven. Uh, praise God, <laughs> praise God uh, for, for all of these things. I'm thankful this morning, and, and Paul encourages Timothy to fight for the gospel. Um, lastly, because it's not only the true gospel that everyone needs, but it is available to everyone who needs it. Look at verse 15. He says, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners. How many sinners, church? How many? All of them. There's no qualifiers here, right? There's, there's teaching out there today. There's, there's Calvinism and New Calvinism and, you know, Cal, all, all sorts of, of Calvinistic or Reformed teachings out there today that insist that Christ only came for some and only some can be saved and uh, that's, it's just not biblical at all, not, not one bit. Uh, there's no qualifiers here at all. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. No qualifiers there, sinners. Uh, everyone and anyone who's a sinner. See Paul's humility, he says, of whom I am what? Chief. <laughs> he saw himself as the chief sinner. What a great humility. Uh, he came to Christ recognizing his sinfulness, which had been revealed by the law, and recognizing that the only way the end goals of the law could be achieved in his life, if he acknowledged his sinfulness and came and placed his faith in Christ, who came into the world to save sinners. He says in verse 16, how be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Rich, he understood that having been the recipient of that grace, which was only available through his faith in Christ, that he was to go out and share that message with whomever he had opportunity to share it with. And he was to do this, verse 17, for the king eternal, 
uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our king, uh, eternally our king, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, the only wise God. And as he did this, as he shared the gospel, the only way, the Lord would be honored and glorified forever and ever. And of course, that's, that's our purpose as a church also, right? We've been given the great commission to go and to teach the gospel uh, and, and to baptize the, the new believer. Uh, not babies, but uh, people who have placed their faith in Christ. That's the Bible order, right? Uh, anybody here baptized as a baby? I was. <laughs> anybody here baptized as a baby? I was. Janet, you were too? I was, I was baptized as a baby Presbyterian uh, for salvation. Did that save me, Brother Ed? Not, not according to the Bible, it didn't. Some, some here were baptized or, or christened as, as baby Catholics uh, with the understanding and the hope that that would somehow wash away sin and impart salvation. That'd be great if it was true. The problem is there's no way to build a biblical argument that that's true. It's just not possible. Uh, in the Bible, there is no baptism until after someone has placed their faith in Christ. And if you can find uh, an example of baptism before someone makes a decision to do that, uh, there's still a, a prize, a, a monetary prize available to anyone who can find that uh, somewhere out there. You'd have to Google that, I guess. You're not going to find it. That's why the prize is still available. Uh, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for truth. Give you one more quick point this morning and we're done. I know, Gary, you don't like that, but one more quick point and we're done. Uh, Gary said, I hate it when you say that, Pastor. I hate, it. I hate it when you say we're almost done. That encourages your pastor. Thank you. Um, faithfulness is worth fighting for. Faithfulness is worth fighting for. Is it hard to be faithful to the Lord? Well, let me ask it differently. Um, are you perfectly faithful to the Lord? I can't raise my hand. Can you? Are, are you absolutely perfectly faithful to the Lord? That's a convicting question. No is the answer. We're not. Uh, it's a fight, right? It's, it's a fight. We have to know what faithfulness entails, what it requires, and we have to understand biblically how we can be faithful. And you understand it's yielding to the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to enable our faithfulness. Paul understood the Lord enabled his ministry. Uh, we understand the Lord enables our service, our faithfulness, as we yield our, ourselves, our hearts to him. The Holy Spirit fills us and enables us to be faithful. But it's a fight. Uh, it's a fight. Uh, it's very easy to get caught up in the uh, the winds of the world and to get pulled away and distracted and the devil is encouraging every opportunity uh, to distract us. Uh, no doubt the devil is intimately involved in many of the things that are happening in the world today that are uh, intended to distract us from the Lord, faithfulness to him and, and sharing the gospel. It's a battle, it's a battle. We have to recognize the difficulty of being faithful and recognize the biblical way of being faithful. It's doing it God's way. It's, it's finding strength in the Lord through his word to do what his word says. 
It's not something that we can drum up apart from that. And, and the Lord shows us this here, and I want you to say this quickly, see it quickly, and we're done. Verse 18 says this. Paul says, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, his son in the Lord. He led Timothy to the Lord. He says, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. He goes on, he lists two men here who had not been faithful. They drifted away from the Lord. He says, whom I've delivered unto Satan, end of verse 20, that, uh, that they may not learn to blaspheme. So he gives us the name of two who had, so it's a very real risk for all of us that we drift away from faithfulness to the Lord. And so we need to look here and sort of interrogate these verses and say, well, okay, what's the answer? I'm saved uh, by grace through faith. I put my faith in Christ, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be faithful to the Lord as a saved person. So what do I need? What do I need to be faithful? What will encourage my faith? And the verse gives us an answer. He says, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, verse 18, according to the what? What's the P word there? The PH word? What is it? Prophecies. He says, which went on before thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Um, the prophecies, that through them thou mightest war a good warfare. Now, very quickly, I want, I want you to hear this very quickly. Uh, some have suggested that this refers to, the word prophecies here, refers to predictions that Timothy would be, predictions and hope that Timothy would be a good minister, or a good pastor, that he'd be faithful. Um, his mother, his grandmother, Paul, all had that hope and, and predicted that he would be, he would be that. And no doubt many had such a hope and uh, no doubt some predicted that. But I, I, want, you, I want you to hear this, please. Um, the predictions of men are not the way that spiritual battles are won. Rich, I don't have the power to say, hey, I hope that, that you'll be victorious in your spiritual battle this week and, and be faithful. I could say that, and, and that might encourage you. I could prophesy that. Rich, I'm just sure that you're going to be faithful to the Lord this week. You're going to yield to God and find strength in the Holy Spirit uh, and, and resist temptation and be faithful to God this week. That might be encouraging. Uh, it's hopeful. And if I said that, it would be encouraging. But just me saying, me saying that doesn't make it happen. Amen. But God's words have a lot of power, don't they, Marilyn? God's words are quick, they're alive, and they're powerful. And so I believe here this morning that uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, listen, you, you need to be faithful and you need to encourage that church to be faithful. But the way you're going to do that is by staying in God's words, uh, which are quick, which are powerful, which are alive, uh, which, which show you what it is to be faithful uh, and which encourage you from the Lord and enable you from the Lord and strengthen you in the Lord 
uh, to be faithful. Uh, faithfulness is very hard apart from spending some real uh, quality time with God in his word. And we understand that spiritual battles um, require all, winning spiritual battles requires all that God has given us. Uh, would you, in closing, and we're done, would you turn back to Ephesians 6, please? I want to just um, see this very quickly. I want to read you several verses, and we'll pray, and we're done. Ephesians chapter 6, this is where we saw the whole armor of God recently. Paul's writing to Timothy, who evidently is pastoring the Ephesian church at this time. In Ephesians 6 and verse 13, this is where we saw the whole armor, how the church at Ephesus would win spiritual battles. It's for us also, of course. Ephesians 6 13, uh, Paul wrote, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, don't leave any out, that ye, all of you, may be able to withstand in the evil day to prevail in spiritual battle, and having done all, to stand. Verse 14, he says, Stand therefore, having your... <laughs> Stand up, please. Uh, stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the blessed breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the what? Church, what does it say? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, Paul's not telling Timothy that he'll, he'll win spiritual battles because people have hoped that he would and uh, that they predicted that he would. He's, he's saying, no, uh, you, need, you need to war a good warfare through the Word of God. Get into it. Uh, be instructed by it. Be encouraged by it. Allow the Spirit of God to minister to you uh, through the Word of God. That's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's how you're going to win spiritual battles and, and edify that church there uh, at Ephesus. That's how you're going to uh, be encouraged yourself and enabled yourself and, and encourage the people there in the same way. Hebrews 4 and verse 12, I've said it before, I'll say it again and we'll close here. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know what the Bible's worth fighting for? The Bible's worth fighting for. This translation we have of God's inspired and preserved words, it's worth fighting for. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we understand that Paul is encouraging Timothy to fight for truth there at Ephesus, and Lord, you're encouraging us to fight for truth as well. We live in a world that rejects the very notion of absolute truth that applies to all men equally. Father, help us to take up the battle against this uh, idea of, of relative truth and, and, Lord, to be in our Bibles and, and be willing to fight uh, to know 
true doctrine and to stand for it and to defend it. Lord, help us to be a people who are willing to stand for and defend and fight for the true gospel, uh, salvation by grace through faith, uh, salvation by faith in a Savior who died and who was buried and who rose again, uh, proving that, God, you were satisfied by his sacrifice. Lord, I pray this morning that you help us to be a people who are faithful, uh, to fight to be faithful as we fight to be in your word, to comprehend your words, to be built up in them and by them. Lord, I don't know this morning what convictions may have been laid upon hearts, but certainly you do. Father, perhaps this morning uh, some are convicted that I've really not been willing to take a stand for Bible truth. I've allowed people to think that I'm like them. Any truth is good truth. I've not been willing to take a stand. I've not been willing to lovingly, graciously open a Bible and graciously challenge wrong doctrine with an open Bible. Perhaps some would say, Father, I've not been willing to study the Bible and to know truth, and therefore I am ill-equipped to counter falsehood, doctrinal error. Lord, I don't know, but you know. I pray this morning if we're convicted in any of these areas that we would take a moment and say, Lord, I, I agree with you. I agree with your conviction. I need to take up your word and its truth and be able and willing to counter error, lies. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help me to be able and willing to do that. Give you a moment to pray that. I ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just one moment, please. No one's looking around. I want to ask you this morning am I absolutely sure? There's been a time when I've turned from sin and, and turned to Christ and placed my faith in him and him alone for salvation. Uh, turning away from trusting in my own goodness, my own religious obedience, and instead simply trusted Christ and what he did upon the cross to be the only way that I could be saved. This morning, while eyes are closed, heads are bowed, no one's looking around, can I just ask you, if you're sure that there's been a time that you've made that decision, you turned from trusting in anything and everything else and placed your faith in Christ and him alone for forgiveness, and you know this morning, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're saved, you're forgiven. Can I ask you, while no one's looking around, eyes are closed, just slip your hand up. Pastor, I know for sure there's been a time that I've placed my faith in Christ, and this morning I'm forgiven, I'm saved. Praise God, there's hands all around the room. I praise God for that. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to be people who would be willing to take a stand 
to stand up for truth, to defend it, to share it lovingly and graciously wherever we meet error. Lord, help us to be um, able and willing to use the law in, a, in the right way to expose sin, sinfulness, and the lost state that men are in without Christ. Lord, help us to be willing to conform our lives to the moral law as well. Lord, as we read through the Old Testament and, and see what is pleasing to you and what is not pleasing, what is moral and what is immoral, I pray that you would give us grace to conform our lives to what is pleasing to you. Lord, we're here to please you, to serve you. Thank you, Father, for the wonderful privilege that we have to do so. Help us to be willing to stand up, to defend, to fight for, to teach the truth of your word, absolute, unchanging truth from the God of truth. Lord, thank you so very much. I love you. Father, thank you for a visitor this morning. Thank you for uh, members this morning who've been faithful to come out. I pray again for those who have not been able to be here this morning.